0: All right, who's ready for Christmas? Some of you just had like a gut drop, like, oh no, <laughs> it's, it's in seven days. It's like waking up the day that, you know, a project was due at school. That's due today, right? Christmas is coming. I'm super excited for Christmas, super excited to have you all joining us today. And I actually, as I look out and I saw some of you in the lobby, but I see a lot of faces that, that I don't recognize or maybe haven't seen in a while or even met before. Um, if I haven't met you personally, come talk to me after service. I would love to, to get to know you and, and just say thank you for joining us and, and um, just get to know a little bit more about you. And uh, hey, you may even get, like Adam said, something free out of it too. So so come talk to me and um, I'd, I'd love just to connect with you if you're visiting us today. Well, we're, we're finishing up our series from Isaiah 9. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn up to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, and we're going to finish our series where it talks about the the names of Jesus and what Isaiah said Jesus was going to be called 700 years before he was born. And uh, next week on Saturday night, we'll, we'll cap this off with Emmanuel. But before we start, um, again, Christmas Eve, Bring the kids, and if there's another incentive for your kids to come, you say, well, they go, well it's late. You go, well, you get to play with fire because we'll have candlelight. So, that, you know, that, that may be the yes, going to church, fire. So, so bring them. It's going to be good. But before we dive into our passage today, it's, uh, we're going to have a little bit of game time. Now, um, I was a youth and children's pastor for 13 years, so breaking into a game is always really, really fun for me. Now, this game's not going to make you, you know, jump around and go crazy, but, but just a, a game um, that, that makes you think a little bit, because the English language is really fun, right? In, in English, we have words, and words mean a lot of different things. The same word means a lot of different things, and so what I'm going to do, and, and none of them are wrong, it's just what does your brain think of when you hear a word? For example, what I wanna do for here is, I, I'm gonna say a word, and I want you just to think, like, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? And I'll give you a couple options, and we'll see just who thought of, of what one, or maybe you didn't think of either of them. But first word for you guys, if I say the word, left. Right, right. Yeah. Some of you immediately go, right? So how many of you guys think left side of the room? How many of you think left, like you left something somewhere, or you left a destination? Or how many of you guys thought politics? You went, oh, the left versus or the right, right? So that word, there was only a couple hands there. I'm curious now, what else does left go with? But but one word, right? Lots of different meanings for one word. Another one, a pitcher, a picture frame. Uh, a, I said pitcher of water, baseball pitcher, right? One word, lots of different things. Um, play. Playground play. How many of you guys think um, like going to play? How about think going to a play? All right. Um, Crane. A bird. bird, All right. Um, Or how about for those in construction a construction crane? Right. Okay. Um, Row. Row. A row of chairs. A row, row, row your boat. Right. Um, or, uh, how about the last one, nail, hammer. nail, a hammer and a nail, maybe, um, a, a metal nail or your finger nails maybe. So, so words can do that a lot, right? We, we hear one word and it has so many different things. And I love that anytime I said one of those words, I, I could tell by some of the responses or just other looks like, oh, I was thinking of this or I was thinking of that. But that's, that's what makes English so fun. Right? All these words are confusing, it oftentimes, but there's a lot of factors that, that go into what the word means. Your culture, how you were raised, the current environment you're in right now, all of that plays into how you perceive a certain word. Now, today we're going to look at a word that around the world means many different things. Lots of cultures say this one word. They all say this word, but the definition alters depending on where you are. But I love that no matter how much this definition alters, when we look at this word in the context of Isaiah, they all come together and mean something absolutely incredible. So quick recap in Isaiah. We've talked about wonderful counselor. We've talked about what it means when, when he said, Jesus, this coming Savior is going to be the mighty God. He will be the everlasting father. And then the last one he refers to here is the prince of peace. The prince of peace. Now, peace, I looked up the word peace a lot. And What does peace mean? What does peace mean around the world? Because I think if you say peace for, for one person, it could mean something totally different for somebody else. So what is peace? Now, I learned a lot about this. Peace around the world. The Piro tribe of the people in Peru, and I'm not going to pronounce these all correct. I'm just going to say it like I know it, so just follow me. But the Piro tribal people of Peru, the word peace means the well-arranged soul. The well-arranged soul. Now, this one, the Zacapalaxta, yep, of Mexico. Peace means completeness. Now, to the the Gabapo people of Liberia, if any of you were from Liberia or been there, I'm sorry. But peace means my heart sits down. My heart sits down. To the Bali people of the Ivory Coast, it means a song in my body. So if you put this all together, you can look at all these words of peace. Peace means the well-arranged soul, completeness, my heart sits down, a song in my body. Those are beautiful pictures, aren't they? Beautiful pictures of this one word. And for some of us, like like this year or maybe even the past couple years, peace is something needed. Peace in your life in so many ways is something that's needed. I know that I've, I've talked to the family who's in, in the process of, of moving and selling and buyers' offers and just things are not working. And, and I know that when I pray for this family, I pray for peace because that's just, I, I had been in that situation a couple years ago. And I know that the anxiety that comes with, we got a house, we lost a house. We have a buyer, we lost a buyer. And, and peace is needed in a lot of times. For the past three weeks around here, we've been traveling through this 2,700-year-old promise that that God gave to the prophet Isaiah. God's promise that this Christmas present was coming to us. This Christmas present that was going to be all these things that you see behind me, this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, everlasting father, this prince of peace was coming. These names would be wonderful. And, and I love that the, the feedback I'm getting um, from, from this series. I, I've talked with a lot of people who have said this, this series has kind of been a landmark or a restart form in the way that they view Jesus. And, and I love these stories as they come. I love hearing what, what we're learning together and how God is working in people's hearts when we unpack more of these phrases in Isaiah. And, and I love that when God says these things, these names, we, we unpack what they mean, but the impact is different for each and every one of us. And I love how the word of God does that for us. But he made this promise to us that in our darkness, he was going to send a savior. He was going to send someone and he shall be called the Prince of Peace. So if you opened up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter nine, for the last time, we're gonna read this passage in its entirety together. And it says this, "'Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom "'for those who were in distress. "'In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun "'and in the land of Naphtali. "'but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles.'" By the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people, rejoice at the harvest as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood, will be destined for burning. will be will be destined for burning. Will be fuel for the fire. And this, is, this is a great promise, right? So far in this passage, what God is promising is that one day there's going to be no more need for the warriors. There's going to be no more need to wear the boots. There's going to be no more need for the, the fear of the blood ruining your your Christmas clothes. You're not going to have this fear anymore. There's going to be no more war. One day there will be no more strife. One day there'll be no there'll be no more opposition or oppression. And why? Why is that? What, what is, how do we know this is happening? And that's answered in the next couple of verses where he says this. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. We learned that, you know, 700 years before Jesus was born, these words come out. God's telling people about the miracle of Christmas because he's excited about it. And he used one of his trusted friends, the prophet Isaiah, to deliver this message. Isaiah loved God. Isaiah listened to God. And Isaiah was able to tell the people some amazing things about the future coming of the Messiah. And with all these names, let me tell you, Isaiah goes through so many more names than just these four names. Isaiah goes through so many things, and to help you see um, more of this big picture of of God, who we get to worship, I'm going to list out some of these names for you that Isaiah goes through, which are beyond just these four. One that I'm super excited for next week at our Christmas Eve service to talk about is Emmanuel. Talk about this this God with us, and that's in Isaiah 7.14. It says, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. This means God with us, and God came to be with us, so we could be, we could be with him, we could learn to, to love him, we could learn to be like him and he understand him more as He walked with us. We could learn to trust him. Another name Isaiah says is the root of Jesse. The root of Jesse, and that may seem a little a little bizarre, like the root of Jesse, because you know root you think plants, you know, one of those words. Right? And what, is, what does root mean? Um, I think root beer because I love soda. But God tells us in Isaiah 11 that the Messiah will be born as a root on the family tree of a shepherd who lived in Bethlehem, and his name was Jesse. By that, that's why Joseph had to go to Bethlehem to register, because the family roots came from Bethlehem. Jesse's roots came from there. And because Joseph's ancestral home was in Bethlehem, he had to travel there, which fulfilled this prophecy that he would be the root of Jesse. 700 years beforehand in Isaiah 10, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all the people. In Isaiah 4, 2, God says the Messiah will be the branch of the Lord because out of him will come much fruit. In 32, 1, he's called the king. In Isaiah 40, 10, he's called sovereign Lord. In Isaiah 40, 11, he's called the shepherd. In 41, 14, he's called your redeemer. In 42, 1, he's called my servant. In 53, 3, he a man of sorrows because he's going to be familiar with pain and suffering. In 6016, he's called your savior. And then, of course, in chapter 9, we have the four we've been talking about. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Now, you you look look at this list. The Emmanuel, root of Jesse, branch of the Lord, the king, sovereign lord, shepherd, redeemer, servant, man of sorrows, your savior, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That's our God. That's our savior. That is incredible. Who else but but God can be all of these things at the same time? Who else gets to do that? No one. He gets to be these things. That's why he's worthy of our worship and he is worthy of our praise. Now, I, I finished about all my Christmas shopping a week ago. I was yeah I know like yes give me the give me the badge the the ribbon but, you know put that on the wall put that on my Zoom meetings and they're like hey how are you doing today well I finished my Christmas shopping so how are you doing today right it's a big accomplishment but I know that. Did it many days ahead of time so I don't have to be the, that person um, or, or Santa at, uh, at you know Christmas Eve at 2 a.m. Like, why are there bolts missing from what I'm assembling for the child to go under the tree? You know, none of us have ever done that before. But I don't have to this year. Right? I, I've, I've got it all done. And as we, we got it all planned out, it was so cute. Um, my daughter Avery gave me um, a, a letter to give to the elf to give to Santa yesterday. And she had to see me put it next to the elf so that she would know that Santa would get it. But um, it's, it's so fun doing this Christmas stuff with the kids and we got our lists out, things are bought, we're good to go. And it's a good feeling, right? It's a good feeling having it done, knowing what, what you're going to get someone. And I, I love that feeling. for Christmas for me, I love sitting around in the morning and the kids are opening their presents and, and that's more than half the fun for me, watching, watching their face as they open their presents, um, seeing my wife open her present. I love that feeling and and given i'm I'm really really good at keeping secrets, so you know I bought stuff a while ago and wrapped it, but i don't want to be good at keeping secrets i i don't like the, like i I get the anticipation right i I bought Aurora and Avery's presents a month ago for one of the things that we knew we were going to get them, and when I see them i get I get so excited for knowing what they're going to do when they open it that I want them to open it now <laughs> like i, I do I, I I'm like just can I tell you what's in it? Can you open it? And, and they, they would, of course, as any kid would. You want your present now? Yes! You know, they, they'll do it. But I, I love the excitement. I love the anticipation. And I, I want to share with them this news. I really want them to know, because I, I love that feeling and the look on their face. But it's not just Christmas. When, when we're planning a, a vacation, or we're planning to do something, and, and we're always told, all right, let's don't, don't tell the kids yet how it eats at me, because I want to tell them so bad. This is a great example, I think, of of what God was doing 700 years before Jesus was born. He was like, you know what, guys? It's happening. In 700 years, this is happening. My son is coming. This is what it's going to be for you. I'm going to send you the prince of peace. The prince of peace. Now, as Isaiah wrote it in his native language of Hebrew, this word was sar shalom. The prince of peace is shar shalom. Jesus was and is the, the sar Shalom. Now, sar is the word for prince. So it's normal that when we think of a prince, we think of royalty, right? Son born, someone born of a king. But, but that's not what this word was designed to make us think. This word literally means the head person, a captain, governor, or prince. So what, what you're saying when you say someone is the Tsar, this is the head honcho. This is the man. You could say Santa is the Tsar of Christmas, right? The Tsar of the presents, Now, the Romans had a very similar word for for their culture, and they would have someone called a Caesar. Caesar, and eventually, as generations would happen, that kind of molded into Caesar. So then you had Caesar, and you had Julius Caesar, and Augustus Caesar, and Nero Caesar, and that was their head guy. Not always royalty, but that was the one appointed to be the person in charge, their Caesar. Now, until the Bolshevik Revolution, the Russians adopted the same title for their head of state. They called them the Tsar. In a similar pronunciation word now, we have Jesus, the Tsar Shalom. Shalom, the word used for peace. In the Hebrew language, it's a rich and powerful concept because shalom means well-being, happiness, and peace. So if you put this together now, when you're saying the Tsar the Shalom, you're saying Jesus is the governor of well-being. He's the captain of happiness. He is the ruler of peace. The Sar Shalom. And this is the the climax of Isaiah's promise. This is what he says he's bringing to us. Because if you can embrace this, you can embrace this concept of of Jesus bringing us peace, then I think we see Jesus totally differently for the rest of our lives. You remember what the angels said when when Jesus was born? They said this in Luke 2.16. They said, glory to God in the highest and on peace, on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. The angels declared this from the birth. He's here. Peace on the earth. And then it says at the end of the story, the shepherds leave and they start spreading the word about this miracle. It says that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Can you you imagine Mary in this moment? Jesus is born. The angels told you who he's gonna be to answer the song, Mary, did you know? Yes, she knew. The angels told her. She knew who he was. The shepherds came. They're praising. They go to leave and Mary is now treasuring these moments in her heart. Think of that for a minute. Think of of how she's feeling. I'm willing to bet that Mary felt peace. Mary felt this peace, a sense of well-being, a sense of happiness, a sense of health. The baby was here. The Savior was here. The angels were right. Everything is going just as they said. And people are already now celebrating the birth of Jesus. There is peace here. And I love that Jesus brought peace in a number of ways. But the incredible first way, the very first way we see Jesus bringing peace is simply by being born. Jesus at his birth from day one brings peace. Bible says that that for the next 30 years, Jesus spends that time growing up as a human body would do, lives a normal life being a human. He starts being able to, he gets all these things, ways that we can identify with him was that he was not just fully God, but he was fully human as well. He experienced hunger. He experienced tiredness. He experienced disappointment. He probably experienced the family squabble, right? These, These things happened. He learned a trade. He was a carpenter. He earned a living, made friends. There were probably birthdays and relatives. Like he, he got to experience all these things growing up. But of course, the bummer was, if you were born on Christmas, then your birthday is overshadowed by his. Right? So he, the ultimate birthday party was Jesus' birthday party. He's kind of a big deal, hard to compete with. But simply by being born, simply by being born 2,000 years ago, he brought to the world what they had been longing for for hundreds of years. They longed for peace, and he brought that joy. He brought the celebration, and he brought an overwhelming peace to those around him. And the angels made this proclamation as part of King Jesus' birth announcement, right? They're bursting at the seams. They fill the sky in a multitude, and they say, he's here. Glory to God in the highest. And in the midst of their excitement, it's kind of that, that, that oxymoron, right? You don't think of peace with people you know, singing and proclaiming, but that's what they say in this huge announcement. He's here. Peace on the earth. That is a huge claim. They were witnessing God's plan of redemption through Jesus. And this announcement was an ultimate invitation, especially for the shepherds right there. Come and see. Come and see this peace. Come and see what God has promised, and you get to be the first ones to embrace this. He arrived to take away the sins of the world and bring peace to all who believe in him. And this invitation to become one of those, it's as the angel said, those on whom God's favor rests. It wasn't just for the shepherds. This invitation to be full of this, the full of this peace, to be one of whom God's favor rests, this is an invitation for all nations. It's an invitation for all people. Every, every person, every home, every culture, every persuasion through belief in Jesus gets to be on one whom his favor rests, one who gets to be filled with his peace. God doesn't look at people and just say, you're my favorite, you're my favorite, not your peace. This is for everybody. We all get to be a part of this. His desire is that all get to come, all get to experience his son and be filled with what he came to offer. And I love that the angels didn't make it to, they didn't appear to a group of the wealthy. They didn't appear to all the kings and queens and everyone in the lands across the world. Where did they go first? They went to the shepherds. They go to this lowly group of shepherds, people who didn't live in peace. Their job literally was protecting the lives of not smart animals, It can be a stressful job. And on top of that, when you're protecting animals who don't even know how to care for themselves half the time, you're dealing with the the predators of those animals, and you're dealing with the ridicule of what came with from being a shepherd in that time. You had a smelly job. You were superstitious. You were the outcast. You were the people that you were the group of people that people talked about, and they weren't afraid to talk about you in front of your face. This was who the angels come to first and say, peace on the earth. That's a very powerful thing when you think about it. That that tumultuous group of people, that's who the angels say, peace is here. Peace is here. Go see it. The announcement of the birth was a proclamation that the governor of well-being, the captain of happiness, and the ruler of peace was here for you. Another way Jesus brought peace. It was not just by being born, but he brought it through his miracles. Now, I I love the story of the first miracle that that Jesus did. And it took place at the wedding of a relative. So they're there, and some of you may know the story, right? They're running out of refreshments. The party is running out of wine. This is cultural taboo. You do not run out of wine at the party. And so the people come to him and his, his mom, they say, Jesus, we need your help. We're out of wine. And so after a conversation, this is what Jesus does. He says, all right, workers, bring me jugs, fill it with water. And they do and when they serve it it is not just turned into wine but this water is turned into the best wine the wine that you did not serve when people were already partying for days but that's what they serve he does this miracle and it's the best they had ever had why does jesus do this why does he do it because there's there's lots of times you know we ask for jesus and sometimes you know he, he answers the way that we want or the, the he wants and not the way we want but why why does he decide the first miracle is going to be right here in this wedding turning water into wine. And I think one of the reasons he does it is because it is a way that his first miracle done is not just showing the power of God, but he brings peace to what could be a very disastrous situation. This is something that makes the mom happy. It makes the bride and groom happy. And it removes the, 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 um, the temptation, not temptation, but it removes what could be cultural taboo that people would not forget about. Let's face it, we've all been to a wedding and we can remember things at weddings. We remember maybe the one relative who got really crazy at the wedding, right? We, we have stories of weddings. It's, and I, I love going to weddings. When, when I get to officiate a wedding, I like to make sure it's a wedding no one will ever forget. Right? We have a lot of fun. But we, there's things at weddings that would never be forgotten. And if you were a part of the wedding that ran out of the wine in this time, you would not be forgotten. And it would not be the, oh, that was hilarious. It would be the, shame on you for not doing what you need to do to take care of your guests. When Jesus does this miracle, the recipients of this wedding, the, the family, they are given peace from what could have been a devastating moment in this, their new life together. His miracles brought peace. Another way Jesus brought peace is with his words. The very words of Jesus bring peace. In Matthew, we find Jesus on a boat with his disciples, right? Again, another common story, but, but I love the words of Jesus on here. As they're traveling, this boat is getting tossed and turned. And, and the disciples, they're, they're, some of them are fishermen. They know what it's like to be out on a storm. This is not new territory for them, but this boat is getting so tossed and turned that they are freaking out. Stuff is going overboard. What are we going to do? We're going to die. The boat is getting rocked. The boat's going to break. This is the end of the line. So they go to find Jesus. And where do they find Jesus? Sleeping. I don't know if any of you guys are light sleepers, but Jesus had to be a pretty heavy, comfortable sleeper because that boat was going nuts. And if they're screaming and panicking and stuff's getting tossed overboard, to go down and find Jesus just sleeping is incredible. Jesus was at peace. He was all good. So they go to him, and they, in a panic, are asking him, what are you doing? Like, this, this is it. We are done. This boat's going down, Jesus. We need help. And Jesus, he gets up. He's like, guys, come on. You've got to have faith. And if, have you ever been woken up from a deep sleep? What do you, what's your normal reaction to the person who wakes you up from that deep sleep? It's not a good one. But, you know, right? But Jesus, Jesus tells them, like, you've got to have faith. And he goes up, and the words he says, he looks at the storm, and he says, Peace. Be still. Instantly the storm stops. Disciples are amazed. There is a resounding peace. The next passage talks about them landing. I like to think Jesus kind of looked at them and said, you happy? And went back to sleep, right? But he gives them peace. The very words of Jesus command peace. Another kind of oxymoron. Have you ever commanded someone to be peaceful? I think... think, I think that the phrase that does not do anything it's designed to do, and husbands, if you've said this to your wives, you know it. Calm down. It doesn't calm anybody down, right? Or if you look at someone go, relax. Does that person typically relax in response? No. But Jesus' words command it. He commanded the water and the storm. Peace. And it immediately replied. It responded and it was peaceful. It had the effect on the storm and the water. And not only does it have that effect on storms and water, when Jesus looks at our problems in our life and he looks at us and says, peace, he can command peace into our lives. When chaos hits, when stress takes over, when, when the election didn't go the way that maybe we wanted to, or you're wondering what's happening in the country, what's happening in my world, my house, my life, you can be overwhelmed. But I know that me personally, when I, when I open up my Bible and I see those red letters, I see the words of Jesus man, I can be overwhelmed with peace in such a great way. The last time Jesus gave a formal talk, you know what he said? In John 14, when he says this, do not let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. So he says, trust me, trust me. And then he concludes it in, in verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give, you, I do not give to you as the world gives, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I know that some of the last things Jesus says is, I'm giving you peace. I may not be walking right here with you anymore, but I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit and I give you peace because he is the prince of that peace. He is the Sar Shalom. Isaiah 9 again, the last part says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. This begs the question, right? How can that be? How, how can that be how can, there be? how can there be no end to peace as a result of the Christ child coming? After all, there's, there's no peace in our day. I mean, we're, we're constantly, it seems like, at war. Not not just emotional war, but literal countries fighting constantly at war. How can there be no end to his peace? And I think to understand that, we've got to understand those, those final words that he said in John, where he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give you peace as the world gives. I think that's a key phrase right there because, again, that one word, peace, depending on your culture and where you are, means so many things. But I think Jesus is talking about this totally different kind of peace that we may not fully understand because he's giving peace that is different than the world's. He's talking about this spiritual peace. There's this whole different level of peace that is something different to grasp. He's not just talking about peace and war. He's talking about this inner spiritual peace. Peace that comes from a sense of having, knowing that God is with you in these hard times, that God has got your back, that God is bigger than the problems that we face. God is able to forgive our sins. God is able to give you hope. God is able to give us eternal life with him, knowing that that's the peace that he is offering. Peace that in the midst of this chaos, he is constant and he is there. And have you guys ever uh, talked with someone or seen someone in the moment where maybe they gave their life to Christ for the first time? I, I, I love those moments, talking with someone and, and seeing peace come over their lives. One of those, one of those moments happened for me in the, um, the most recent one that, that I, I remember that I love talking about, what happened on the Mexico missions trip. And I, I think I shared this when we were doing the, the Mexico recap, but I was there doing a, a lesson for the kids. And I've been doing this VBS lesson, we're you know, putting cotton balls on noses and flinging them left and right and, and tying this all into having a relationship with Jesus. It's tons of fun. I love it. But this, this, this group of adults comes over and, and the pastor of the church brings me over to the side and says, you know, hey, this family, um, I, I met them, this, this is a pastor, you know, through a translator telling me, this family called me, they said that they wanted, to, uh, they wanted, you know, they needed help and resources. I said, come check out this kitchen where we were helping all these, you know, serving all these kids at VBS and start there. This family heard the message I was delivering to a group of children and they wanted to receive Jesus. I didn't look at them the entire message. I was focusing on the kids. And I was like, I'm here to speak to the kids. And Jesus was like, no, you're here to speak to them. And I got to pray with them. All that to say, they were talking about the problems they were going through, their sick child, their their home, their life. And when I prayed over them and they said they wanted to receive Jesus, there was this joy and peace that just flooded their lives. And it was so cool to see. And, and when, you, when you see this in a believer or someone who, who becomes a believer, it's, it's awesome when you say, wow, they realized there was something different they were looking for. They weren't just looking for financial help. They weren't just looking for, for the things and the stuff. They were looking for something so much bigger than what the world has. And when they say, I just want peace in my life, they weren't even thinking of the peace that Jesus brings. But when they experience that for the first time and you see the look on their face, it is an incredible moment. Something that you say, only God can do that. Only God can bring that peace. And I think we, we fall into that so much as a culture sometimes. You know, we, we get to, we look around and say, you know, what, what do I really want now? What would bring me peace and joy? And sometimes it translates into trinkets or the new toys or the, the Christmas list. But what we're really looking for, what we really need inside is that shalom, that peace that God can give, that, that well-being, that happiness and joy that God says, I'm the prince of peace. I get to give this to you. Nothing in the world can give this to you. I get to give this to you. And people have been making this decision for thousands of years, thousands of years. This is what God promises people, that he would deliver the Prince of Peace. And I know that when I bow down before God, that peace overwhelms my life. And he's the only one that can do it. For 20 centuries now, 20 centuries, people have heard the words of Jesus. Seen the red letters, seen that he is the prince of peace, and people have been giving their lives to him. And I tell you, it's working. It's working. This is one of the things that I think Scripture talks about that we can maybe maybe not understand fully, but when we look at this, this invisible government that it talks about, the government will increase. This is how his government increases. People submit their lives to him. When Isaiah talks about that, the government has increased. How? You submit your life. This is not a worldly government. This is the governing rule of Jesus. You submit your life to him to get that peace. This is like an invisible government, right? The reign of Christ over the people. And you know what that's, that's kind of called now? It's the church, the church. We get to come together as a church. And what's, what's crazy is the church is the, the church, the capital C, big church. This is the largest organization in the entire world. The church. And when you're involved in a healthy church, a church that shows the love of Jesus, that, that loves their community. When you're involved in that healthy community, you come to a large group meeting, like like here, or a small group meeting, and, and you're growing in this relationship with each other and with Jesus. This is where you get to be a part of the peace that is offered through obedience to him, and you see his government start to rule and reign over your life. The Bible says that, that currently Jesus' government, it increases one life at a time. One life at a time is that as any individual submits their life to him, but also predicts that one day Jesus will return and his reign is not just going to be a spiritual one. When Jesus returns, his reign, that's when it now merges with a spiritual one and a very physical one. In the future, he will restore nature and rule the earth. He will restore nature and rule the earth. And, and I want to read this passage to you in Isaiah eleven six, And it says this, and as I read this, I'd like to invite the worship team to come join, us, join me on stage. But Isaiah eleven six 6 says this, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat and the calf with the lion and the yearling together and the little child will lead them. The cow will feed the bear, the young, their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra and the young child put his hand in the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. And in that day, here it is, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for his people. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. When he comes, even nature will be at peace the lion and the lamb, the viper not biting, that is an incredible peace. And that's when it transcends, it goes not just from spiritual, but it becomes physical. We get to live in the peace of Jesus. And that is going to be wonderful because we know that he is the Sar Shalom. He is the prince and the giver of ultimate peace. Today, if, there's, uh, if you notice on your uh, chairs, there are communion cups. And what I'd love to do is uh, kind of seal our time of this, this passage in Isaiah, uh, taking communion together. And I, I think it's fitting that as we go through the names of Jesus, we, we know that not only are we, we celebrating what Jesus came to do, that, that he was born on Christmas, but ultimately that he will come again. And the scripture says that when we take this, we are proclaiming that not only what he did for us then, but we are proclaiming this every day until his return. And so I wanna invite you now to, uh, to stand with me. Let's take this together. I'm actually, keep grabbing, there. But as you, uh, as you take this, peel back the top layer to take the bread out and in scripture when Jesus was having his uh the last supper with his disciples he was telling them what this meant and he took bread something so common in that time something that every household had a very not extraordinary item but he said we're gonna do something very extraordinary with this when you take this and you eat this remember this is my body this is broken for you and they didn't fully understand what he was talking about what we do now and so when we take this today we get to remember Jesus this is your body that was broken for me it started on that Christmas day and as we take it today we can remember that he will be coming again to bring us that peace so I'd like to invite you to just pray for a minute thanking God for his body that came for us and then we'll take this together peel back the top layer of these cups Jesus took the, the wine and he said this is my blood shed for you only the blood of Jesus could wipe away our sins the blood of sacrifices in the Old Testament talks about sin but that, that covering sin but Jesus' blood was different he was the lamb of God he was the perfect sacrifice and his blood didn't just cover sin his blood wiped the slate clean and he said this is my blood shed for you so again Let's take a minute on your own just to have a moment where we thank God for his perfect blood, his perfect sacrifice, all, all remembering that while we do this today, it's not just because of what he did, but because of what he continues to do and that he will come again. So take a moment and pray as we remember. To drink it now. Father, we thank you so much for, for today. I thank you for this season. I thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. God, I thank you that in the in the midst of chaos, your words command peace. God, you give a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I pray that for all of us today, as we come into this last week before Christmas, God, we let your peace rule our lives. We let you be that Sar Shalom. We let you be that person who says, the world can't give this to you, but I can. And I pray that in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our troubles, even in the midst of our joy and good times, we're able to say, I have this peace because of Jesus, the ultimate giver and ultimate bringer of life, love, and peace. We thank you, God, we love you, and everybody said, Amen.